I'm here today with the Reverend Dr. Emily Towns, Dean of Vanderbilt Divinity School and the E. Rhodes and Leona B. Carpenter Professor of Womanist Ethics and Society. Dr. Towns is the author of the groundbreaking book, Womanist Ethics and the Culture, Cultural Production of Evil. Other books include Breaking the Fine Reign of Death, African-American Healthcare and a Womanist Ethic of Care, and also In a Blaze of Glory, Womanist Spirituality as Social Witness. The ordained American Baptist clergywoman earned a doctorate in philosophy from the joint Garrett Evangelical Theological Seminary Northwestern University program in religious and theological studies. She also received a doctorate in minister from the University of Chicago and master's and bachelor's degrees from University of Chicago. Um, Dr. Towns has served as president of the Society of the Study of Black Religion. She was the first African-American woman elected to the presidential line of the American Academy of Religion and was inducted as a fellow in the American Academy of Arts and Sciences. In 2010, Dr. Towns was honored as Distinguished Religious Scholar by the Black Religious Scholars Group, and she has received honorary doctorates from Washington Jefferson College and Franklin College. Dr. Towns is a contributing blogger for the Huffington Post and the Feminism and Religion Forum. So, Dr. Towns, it's really an honor to have you um, with us here today. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. It's good to be here. Maybe we can start just by you giving us an update on, you know, what's been occupying most of your time lately. Uh, I know your semester's probably just recently started. Well, uh, I think it, uh, one of our um, staff members put it well when she said, what summer? Because <laughs> we have been going um, full tilt since March in trying to respond to the shifting um, information we get about the coronavirus and how it is doing what it's doing and watching with alarm the numbers climb in the U.S. And we sit in a university, a larger university, and so we're really following the cues of University Central in how we are trying to manage um, what it is we're doing and keeping people both uh, having access to good education um, and also safe, as safe as we can and make it. So it has been a real exercise um, all summer long of sh with the shifting information we shift um, and going back and forth and all of the, um, the things one has to do um, in order to have good practices across a university. And because Vanderbilt is um, land small as major universities go, we're sort of all on this little piece of, of land together um, and so how do we manage that? And of course, um, the undergraduate population and the graduate and professional population are about 50-50, but a few more undergraduates. And there's been much more concern about the undergraduate population because they are residential and the graduate and professional school students aren't. So um, that's one less headache. Uh, or two less viewer headaches, but um, trying to negotiate what that means and watching various schools uh, try things and have to do about faces. And um, we're, we're just sort of, as I say, we're chugging along, um, 
So far, so good. Only six of our classes, I believe, in the Div School um, have an in-person element to them. The other 20 plus are online. Um, and um, that was both a faculty decision and also a student decision. Mm. Um, so it's, it's been very much a, a case of trying to help people make decisions, make wise decisions, and um, trying to orchestrate all of that. And I am so fortunate that I have an excellent staff that's been hanging in there and helping clarify things. We, our uh, events pro, program person has now become an expert on webinars <laughs> and has gotten certified and is, we've moved into that arena full throttle. So we've been busy. We've been busy. And um, my major concern now um, is exhaustion. Hmm. Um, folks are really tired among the staff. Um, I think the faculty and the student body are, um, and, and the staff are all experiencing the fatigue of being in the middle of a pandemic. And we don't know if we're in the middle or if we're at the tail end or if we're just at the beginning. Um, and that kind of um, lack of knowing where we are is, is wearing on, I think, everybody's spirits. So trying to help folks regenerate out of exhaustion uh, is not something I thought I'd ever have to do as a dean. I thought about that a lot as a pastor, but uh, not as a dean. So uh, we're, we're working as, as fast and as quickly and as efficiently as we can. Well, I can only imagine, you know, the challenges associated with, you know, Converting, so to speak, you know, from a primary in-person institution to uh, a primary online institution. That's, that's just a huge amount of effort and, and, and uncertainty, as you said. But I was glad also you mentioned earlier that the um, attendance, you know, the participation of some of the online things that you've done this summer has been really good. So I'm glad to hear that. Oh, yeah. I... We don't tend to have a thousand to two thousand people attending things in person, <laughs> no matter how great they are. Sure. Um, but we've seen those numbers um, several times this summer for various things we've done, um, and um, I just get I get excited about the numbers only because that means we're offering something that people see they might need or find interesting. Um, and um, they might probably wouldn't have had access to it um, unless they had access to internet. And that, that's its own question about fairness and accessibility. But um, we're, uh, we're, we're, we're in an interesting place, a really interesting place as an educational institution. So uh, we also have an election coming up, um, <laughs> uh, one that pe most people, you know, including myself, view as pretty uh, significant. Um, so can you tell us, share a little bit of your thoughts on, um, you know, the current state of the country? Well, uh, you know, as, as a good uh, Southern 
expression says, we're a hot mess right now. <laughs> um, and a troubling one at that. Um, the, um, for as many spaces of grace that I see um, in my moving about, um, I see at least as many, if not more, spaces of hatred and um, anger. And it's coming from all different sectors of the population. It's not just one group or the other group. And some of it, I think, is related to just tired of having to wait for justice and be seen as people. And some of it is we don't want to give up whatever we've gotten, no matter how we got it. Um, and we run the gamut, I think, between those two things. Um, and, and honestly, I don't think we have the, the, the national leadership to help us steer this ship through this in a healthy and productive way. Um, I'm doing a, a lecture at um, Candler School of Theology later this week, and the whole front half of the lecture is troubling our understanding of democracy, as in we, don't, we aren't really acting like a democracy right now. Um, and here are the things that we need to be doing in order to be a democracy. Um, and um, it's, 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 it's frightening to me to see what's going on. Um, and the kind of, um, at times, arrogance that folks have about their opinion. Hmm. Uh, so that we're not even listening to each other in many cases. Uh, we've, we've devolved in many ways, I think, into a win-lose culture instead of a community culture. Um, and, and, and that's no way to try to get at democracy at all. Uh -huh. um, and it's certainly not a way to get at um, what I think is one of the great images for us um, who are Christian and people of faith is a new heaven, new earth. That just doesn't work when you're so worried about hoarding what you got um, that you can't hear anybody that's not saying exactly what you're saying. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've certainly never seen a country this polarized. And, and you know, as you said, people are just so entrenched with, you know, wherever they're at. And it, it, what have you found to be successful in, in trying to bridge gaps and speak with people that don't necessarily share your views on whatever? Well, you know, I, for me at least, I try to listen before I talk, which um, can be a challenge sometimes. But um, I'm convinced that we're just not, we, we are so anxious to get our viewpoint up, across that we aren't listening to anything other than the echoes of what we're saying. Um, and so I think it begins with listening. Um, that was a strategy that we started employing at the Divinity School um, with Mike Brown's death several years ago. Um, when it was clear, <coughs> powder keg, we were sitting on top of a powder keg, 
as a as a as a seminary, and um, we needed to find a way to talk to each other. So we turned to listening circles, um, and it did bring the tensions down a notch. But it was also um, what I what I liked about them and why we um, instituted them again last uh, last year. <laughs> right before uh, COVID shut us all down in person, is that when there's a, a, a thing that's in the midst of your community, however you define it, that you're not talking about, but everybody's experiencing, folks are responding to, and we aren't talking about it and hearing how that's having an effect on um, one another, it festers and it gets worse and worse and worse, and eventually things blow up. Um, now, I'm not afraid of dissent, um, but I want us to be able to dissent and still listen to each other and hear the points we're trying to make. So it's, it's um, for me, it's a matter of listening first um, and, and to be aware that I'm not always right, but I do have opinions. And it's not like I become this sort of wishy-washy person. I, 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 I want to be convinced I need to move in another direction, not just go throw up my hands and go, okay. Or to argue my point because I think it's right. But only after I've listened to you and tried to understand exactly what you're trying to say to me what you're advocating. Um, it's the only way I know to, um, to really get at a sense of what it takes to not only build a democracy, but also a community of faith. So, um, you know, clearly the whole world of systemic racism is building awareness, right? It seems as though there's increased awareness about the reality of that within the white community anyway. Um, what steps after the election would you like to see politicians take to actually help try to do something about that? Well, you know, it starts with something that seems like an impossible wish, but, you know, it's the one I got, which is stop trying to win elections and re-elections and actually govern. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't see a lot of governing going on, either on the state level or the national level. Um, I see people are so uh, focused on their own re-election that that's all that yeah. matters. That's no way to run a country. No. No way to run anything. Uh, so <laughs> our own self-perpetuation gets us in trouble almost every time. Um, and so really getting back to the business of governing. And I'm not thinking that we ever had this nirvana period where that was true, but I do think we used to do it better. Um, and there was much more um, conversation and negotiation around issues and um, where people are in their life journey. 
Um, but um, now it's just, it's become a contest rather than a government. And um, I don't like it. I don't think it's right. And uh, I know my students and often my faculty colleagues get tired of hearing me doing this constant, you know, we need to stop this and we can't do it here because it only models for our students and they'll go out and do a version of it um, in their ministries, wherever that leads them. So we've got to help students see that we live in our differences as a faculty, but what we're trying to do is create a school that really says, does what it says it wants to do and what our purpose statement really says we're about. Do you think that if, you know, we were able to decrease the influence of money, you know, in politics, that that, that would help? It, it kind of seems to me that that influence has dramatically increased over the last few years as, you know, corporations were deemed to be, quote, unquote, citizens and can contribute as much as they want, you know, these loosening of these kinds of restrictions. I mean, what, what are your thoughts about that? Well, I, I start with um, a very quaint notion for us, which is we the people. Um, I, I think we've gotten away from that a good bit because what that does is um, really call us to think about what is it that we need to be about that brings the best out of ourselves as a country to help the greater number of us live lives? It's, it's not as though we don't have the resources in the United States. We do. It's just we tend to hoard them um, or we, we tend to think that no one else deserves them which is a different version of hoarding, but it's along that same line. And as long as we're only concerned about um, ourselves and our interests, be they individual or corporate or communal, without recognizing that we are a big tent country with a lot going on. Uh, and diversity is not a four-letter word, it actually makes us better and a, and a, and a whole lot more interesting. Um, until we can embrace those things, uh, I, I think what we do when we hunker down and folks get special in, uh, interests and um, we don't really recognize the ways in which that's just plain mean. It's, it's not earned, it's meanness. Um, and um, at worst, well, at best, and, and I think at worst, it's not giving a damn about anybody but me, mine, and ours. And that's no way to run a country either. So you, you, you rightly hear me advocating for a robust understanding of community um, and with that um, an embrace of the, the just the many gifts that so many of us bring to this country 
that go untapped and unacknowledged and unused. And, and that's a shame. So um, what would you recommend that religious leaders do and say leading up the election? <laughs> well, there's that whole sense of preach the gospel. <laughs> <laughs> what a concept. <clears throat> <laughs> but I'm serious. I'm serious. I have... Um, I've been going to church online since um, the beginning of Lent with one uh, United Methodist Church in Nashville. And I have watched their pastor hold the community together, but also encourage, we've got responsibilities in this. We've, we, we can't just throw up our hands because we're not meeting in person and we have to change how we carry out our mission and you know, all those things. And, and we're living in the middle of a pandemic and it is having negative effects on people, particularly those who live alone. Um, but they're not the only group. Um, I've heard some hard stories of families just, they're tired of looking at each other and uh, all around, all, the whole age range. Um, so it's, um, it's been very um, life-giving to be a member of that community and have a pastor who's not letting go of the prophetic and the pastoral but bringing the whole church along with them hmm. on a journey, recognizing that we're in this together. Um, and and um, it's been, it's been very moving. And uh, there have been several Sundays where I've had to go look in the mirror and say, okay, where are you in this? Hmm. And really have an accounting with myself. Hmm. Um, a, a, a church community that can do that, even in the midst of a pandemic, proves that it's not impossible to do. <laughs> um, but that we have to be aware that there are things we must know. I, I have been a firm believer since my youth, and I couldn't have put it in these terms when I was a little kid. But where better to come with questions you have and concerns you have about what's going on in our culture, in our politics, whatever, than in a church community? Where better to go to bring those questions and wrestle with them as a community of faith? And I, I think that's where we should be as religious leaders, is fostering that kind of atmosphere um, in churches or wherever we are practicing ministry, that we need to be the place where folks can come and ask the questions and not be afraid that they will be demeaned or discounted or undervalued. We should be the experts in that, shouldn't we? We should. Uh, but we're not. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but there are places and spaces 
and pastors and laity that do do this. That's so, really good to hear about this church that you're, you know, attending. Yeah. I don't have permission to call their name or I, I do it. No, no, that's okay. <laughs> I understand. So um, what about just the average, you know, individual lay, lay person? I mean, um, obviously voting, you know, is <laughs> the most important thing I think we can all do. But in addition to that, what, what suggestions do you have? Well, you know, there are ways to practice still using um, all the safe protocols we have to dig in there and still volunteer in our communities. Um, and I think that's one of the things that um, is a real distinctive of Christian witness is our ability to know we need to go volunteer somewhere and help some people and not come in as the experts but come in with the question, how can I help? And then listening to the community and then digging in. Um, so I, it, it, for me, it becomes, um, we, we often think one person can't do much. And the reality is usually we can't, not one person. But if we're working with others that have some sense of a common vision and purpose and mission, we can get a lot accomplished because it's sort of the flip of this, what I call rampant individualism we've slipped into mm -hmm. in the United States. Mm -hmm. We only think if we do it, that it really counts rather than understanding it, that, that wonderful phrase, uh, not but me one, you know, we need help. We don't do this by ourselves at least not well and not for long. Um, so it, it really is one person in community with others, seeing a need, be getting involved, um, and listening to what the community that we were talking to and wanting to work with or represent or however we want to put it, what they have to say. Because often folk really know what needs to happen. It's just nobody ever asked them. <laughs> and nobody ever listened when they said so. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We got to stop that. We really have to stop that um, and really learn to listen to each other. Because uh, there's wisdom all over the place, and you just never know when it's going to break out. Well, as you mentioned before, you know, there's so much of this, you know, the elephant in the room, you know, situations where, you know, for whatever reason, we've been unwilling to listen, we've been unwilling to confront things that everyone knows are there, but, um, you know, there's been an unwillingness to, um, to discuss, and we haven't done a good job of discussing a lot of these tough issues. Yeah. <clears throat> so, I don't know, I, I hope that after, after the election, that's one of the things that as a society and a culture, we learn to do better. I hope so. I do. <laughs> so if you had one wish for uh, an outcome of the election, what, what would it be? That we elect someone who really takes seriously we the people and implements that vision and not a, a vision of special interests or narrow interests, but really understands that 
we're, we're, we're talking about a country here, not a subset of the country. Um, but, and actually cherishes our founding principles. They're not bad. <laughs> uh, in some ways, they seem utopian, but I think that's what you have to have as a vision for a country. You don't have, oh, we know we can do this, so that's what our vision will be. That's not a vision. That's actually um, um, cooking the books. A vision pulls us outside of ourselves. A vision asks us to live into the best of who we can be. Um, and I want that kind of leadership in this country, uh, whoever it comes from. Well, certainly, you know, we the people, right, I mean, is, uh, is a powerful vision, if implemented <laughs> with integrity and honesty, mm -hmm. um, which, which I agree with you is an ideal that we've yet to uh, approach, <laughs> much less implement. But um, we've, got to, we've got to seek to that. I mean, none of us are perfect, but uh, I think we can do better. Yeah. I agree. <laughs> well, Dr. Towns, it was really a pleasure to be able to speak with you. I've, uh, we've, we've exchanged emails for, for many years and uh, phone calls, and this is the first time we've actually been able to have a video conversation, and I really appreciate the opportunity to do that. I appreciate all the work that you do uh, there uh, within uh, – Vanderbilt and, and, and beyond. So thank you for that. Well, thank you, Brian. It's been good to uh, actually see what you look like. <laughs> well, that's not anything thrilling, but. <laughs> well, you never know. You never know. But it, uh, you, you, we're edging closer to a real in-person meeting. So Yes, yes. Well, we, we will make that happen at some point here after all of this uh, travel and pandemic and et cetera is uh, in a better situation. So Sounds good. In any event, thank you so much again. Oh, you're welcome. Take good care.